So today, actually, yeah, I'm going to do this. Hopefully my mic doesn't get all jacked up. Just to help you get a focus on what our focus is today and what I'll be preaching about. Bam. All right. We are on core value number two. I want to remind you today that not only do we at Truth and Grace Fellowship want to remind us of this core value that we have, but I also want to remind us that this is actually an expected outcome if we are going to be a people, a group of people, who are intentional about tracing our lives after Jesus. We believe that your relationships will grow and flourish, and we're going to talk about several of those different types of relationships. So, um, one of our vision statements, according to our bylaws, and we don't hear about vision statements too much. We hear a lot about our mission statement and our core values, which, again, just as a reminder, our mission statement is that we exist to invite, encourage, and equip others to trace their lives after Jesus, okay? Our core values spell out trace. Um, they stand for transformation. Josh did an amazing job challenging us, um, pumping us up, to get and to be transformed. When Jesus comes in, we shouldn't stay the same, right? He is in the process of changing our caterpillar-like qualities into a butterfly-like, flying, great vision, more beautiful type of person, right? It's becoming more and more like Jesus. So today we're talking about relationships, and one of our vision statements there's three of them found in our bylaws, and we don't refer to these a lot, but one of them is this. We will fulfill the Great Commission. That's Matthew 28, we talked about two weeks ago, while living out the Great Commandments. You guys remember what the greatest two commandments are in Scripture? Jesus said, these two commandments, if we would just follow them, if we would just obey them, Ooh, that was close. We would fulfill everything written in the law and the prophets, which when Jesus' day was all of the Old Testament. And so now he's come to set up a New Testament or a new covenant where we can know God personally. And this has a new law, and this is the law. Jesus said this in Matthew 22, starting with verse 36. Someone came to him and said, Teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, what does that have to do with relationships? All relationships, if we are going to trace our lives after Jesus, should be established and built on what? Love. God continues to pursue a love relationship with you. Always he's pursuing that. Always he's inviting you. Always he's whispering. Always he's saying, follow me. 
This is the way, walk in it. And Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God, our Heavenly Father, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's relationship number one and the most important relationship you and I could ever have. Jesus, we could say, his core value was relationships and they were built on love. Jesus valued his Father, God, the most and people a close second. Jesus' whole life was about his relationship with his heavenly Father and his relationship with people, and both were built on love. And it didn't matter whether those people knew God or not. It didn't matter if they grew up religious or not. It didn't matter what color their skin was or what sex they were. Jesus loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor, that was everyone, as he loves himself. And he now says for you and I, this is the greatest commandment. And we at Truth and Grace Fellowship have said, one of our vision statements, are that we will fulfill the great commission to go make disciples while living out the great commandments, while loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourself. So if we're going to trace our lives after Jesus, then relationships must also be a core value, not just for our church, but for you, especially those of you that have signed that covenant. Yes, God has called me to Truth and Grace Fellowship. It is my home local body of believers. And even though I belong to the one worldwide body of Christ, this is the part of the body that God has called me to And one of our core values, which makes it one of mine and one of yours, is to love God and to love others as Jesus did. So first and foremost is our relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Can we have much of a relationship with God and not spend time with Him? We can't, can't we? We can't have much of one if we don't spend any time with Him. The closest relationships you have, literally flesh and blood with people, are the people you spend the most time with, right? So can we have much of a relationship with God if we don't have any or hardly any relationship with His Word or our Bibles? It's possible because not everyone has access to the scriptures like you and I do, and so God can, through his Holy Spirit, draw us into himself, and we can worship him and know him. But man, if we have access to the written word of God, something that he's given us that defines how we ought to live our lives, how, what it means to be born again, what it means to, to be someone who follows him and traces their life after him, then man, the, we, we must have a relationship with his word. Now this morning, I want to share with you some some cool research that drives this point home. I was reading a study done by the Center for Bible Engagement. This study was done amongst 40,000 Americans ages 8 to 80. And they had to answer all these different questions. And of these 40,000 Americans... Ages 8 to 80, 
These are a lot of the struggles that they shared that they were facing. And not only facing, but these were the issues that were dragging them down. I'm sure all of us, at least at one time, could have related to these. And many of us now, even though we're born-again Christians, have these issues in our lives, do we not? Alcoholism, sex outside of marriage, pornography, gambling, anger issues, gossiping, lying, neglecting family, overeating, overspending, feeling bitter, thoughts of harming self or others, I should have put there, unforgiveness, hiding what they do or feel, feeling discouraged, experiencing loneliness, feeling spiritually stagnant, feeling like they can't please God. Hold, hold there for just a minute, Eric. Right? We, and, and there are many others. These are just some that I found in my research. Now, these same Americans were asked how often they read their Bible. That's where I'm getting to. And so I'm just going to put up for you in a minute this next slide. These are not percentages of all of these Americans. These are actually percentages of those who self-identified as born-again Christians. Okay, So this figure I'm about to show you isn't amongst all 40,000 of the Americans, an average of that. It's against, or it's connected to self, those on this survey who self-identified as a born-again Christian. Let's go ahead and put that up. 30% of those said they read their Bible zero days a week. 37% say they read their Bibles one to three days a week. And 33% said they read their Bibles four to seven days a week a week. Now, I'm not here to make anyone feel bad or to shame anyone or whatever, but I'm here to say this. As your lead pastor at Truth and Grace Fellowship, I want us a part of that 33%, right? We can do better than zero days a week if we're claiming to be a born-again Christian, and we can do better than one to three days a week. And so here's part of my point connected to this national survey. Now, if you go back to those struggles, go ahead and put them back up really quick. Those self-identified, born-again Christians who read their Bible zero times a week and those who read their Bibles one to three days a week, there was almost zero effect on how they handled these struggles. It wasn't until they noticed in this survey that people got to the four-day-a-week mark where it went like this. It was like zero day, non-Christians, born-again Christians, zero days a week, one, three. There was just a tiny spike at three days a week. At four, the charts went like this. And so let me read to you some of these statistics. Going down through the list, I'll start from the left and then go to the right. For those born-again Christians who read their Bibles four to seven days a week, just that one stat connected to these issues, listen to this. Alcoholism, they were 57% less likely to give in. Having sex outside of marriage, 68% less likely. Pornography, 61% less likely. Gambling, 74% less likely. Anger issues, 31%. Gossiping, 28%. Lying, 28 
neglecting family, 26. Overeating or mishandling food and money, both of those were 20%. Feeling bitter, 40%. Thoughts of harming themselves or others dropped 32%. Unforgiveness, 31%. Feeling like they have to hide what they do or feel dropped 32%. Feeling discouraged, 31%. Experiencing loneliness, 31%. Feeling spiritually stagnant, dropped 60%. Just by some, someone who read their Bible four times or four days a week or more. Feeling like they can't please God, dropped 44%. Isn't that an interesting find? One thing connected to reading God's Word, which is directly connected to our relationship with God, all those issues, most of them dropped a third, 33% or more. That's, that's, I included those that were around that 30, 33% mark and greater. Isn't that really cool? Here's the interesting part. Um, well, I think that was pretty interesting myself. But when it came to some positive things, again, this is just the category. You can go ahead and go forward two slides. This is just the category of self-identified born-again Christians that read their Bibles four to seven days a week. Giving to their church went up 416%. Memorizing scripture went up 407%. Sharing their faith with others. Why? They have confidence in God's word now. They know what it says. They're reading it on a regular basis. And they're understanding that what this says about God is true, what this says about me is true, what the world and the enemy says are lies. I mean, we just start believing the scripture so much that discipling others goes up 231%. Giving to causes even outside of their own church went up 218%. I would have loved to known the full study. I, I, I'm just picking out some of the ones that this small, smaller article picked out. So it's not only do those struggles that we face just by being in the Word of God, which is connected directly to our relationship with God, cause us to less likely give in to those issues, but also increase in other obedient things, other teachings of Scripture, like giving and and hiding scripture in our heart that we might not sin against God and, and sharing our faith with others and being evangelistic and telling people the good news, God sin, Jesus repent life and discipling others, taking someone now that's made that commitment to, uh, to Jesus and has started coming to church with us, now we help them grow deeper whether that's through one-on-one -on -one discipleship or small group or coming to church regularly or helping them get into the word of God. All these things go way, way up. So there's a huge difference from just that one thing. So I want you to first ask yourself, where am I at? Do I know I have a relationship with God because God has drawn me, I've repented of my sins, I've put my trust in Jesus, I know he's moved in, I know I've been born again. Yes, you still have a sinful, fleshly nature, but like, do you know that you know that you know God has touched my soul and my spirit and changed my attitude about sin, changed my attitude about what I need to work on to improve? 
not just making a better me, but making the me that God originally intended before sin entered the world. And that's a lifetime of catching up to that, and we still won't do it. But the Bible talks about striving and plugging on and pressing on. And if you know that, where do you stand with your relationship with your Bible, whether it's on your phone or a hard copy? Honestly, I, I don't have, I mean, I have a personal preference, but I don't, I don't care what you do which way. I just care that you're in it and that you're understanding what you're reading. So if you're here this morning and you don't understand what it means to be born again or, or you're reading your Bible and it's just a little bit, maybe it's just a little bit because you don't understand what you're reading. Maybe you're in it four to seven days a week and you still, you're not getting it. Then this is why we as a church, this is why it's my personal responsibility as lead pastor to offer things for you to help you out. And one of those ways is what we've been talking about with the one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Now, let me say, from two weeks ago, and I know everyone hears and interprets things differently, that is not the only way. I know it seemed like, go fill out the sheet, and you either make a disciple or, or you become one. One-on-one -on -one isn't the only way to do that. It's a very biblical way. You, you look at uh, any major, I shouldn't say character, person, because it's real, written in the Bible. Just pick one out. And you're going to find they had a close connection with another brother or sister in the Lord. You're going to find that the early church met in the temple courts and from house to house daily. So they were plugged into small groups as well as large group gatherings. So it doesn't matter to me how you go about becoming a better disciple or how you go about helping other people connect to the process of discipleship. It really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that we as a church are offering that to you so that we're not guilty of our responsibility. And so what that really means is now you all have a responsibility without feeling shamed, without feeling, well, you should feel a little guilty if you're a born-again Christian because God wants you to be better, but I just want you to know you, you choose the how. I want you to be in God's word, and I want you to understand what you're reading. And I know people around us can help. I know Bible studies can help. Maybe you want to sign up for a Bible study. Um, there's young adults, and there's women's, and men's getting ready to start again. And there's Laurel study, and I don't want to leave anyone out. I know others, others of you are kind of hosting a study in your home or talking about small groups. You don't have to wait till we do a church-wide small group campaign. You find another believer in Christ and you dig in the word together so that you can understand the new life, that born-again life that God has for you. It is awesome. It's exciting. It's freeing. It's fulfilling. It's one that produces some of these other things and traits that we're going to be talking about. But today our focus is relationship and that most important one that comes through our personal relationship with God. Let's put that Acts scripture up really quick, and I just want you guys to see this. Those who accepted his message, Peter had just got done preaching here, or in Acts chapter 2, they were baptized, so there was a response, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, these 3,000 people, all of them brand new born-again believers. Some of them probably knew scripture well because they were Jewish. Some of them didn't know it at all. 
all level. You're at, a, you're at a certain level when you become born again as far as your knowledge of God or his word, depending on if you grew up in church or not and all that kind of thing. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Now, there's, there's a word that's connected to that in the Greek that is everyone was filled with worship. I mean, the, the type of being awestruck that causes you to just be like, wow, God, you are so amazing. I mean, stinking amazing. You, you, you are, I, I don't even know why you do what you do, even when I'm like I am. But those moments, you know, you get those moments where God just whispers to you or do something or you get this feeling inside and you, maybe you've been feeling down or off and God just does something. That's what happens. But again, we got to remember what they devoted themselves to. And at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all the believers were together and had everything in common. It's what we strive to be here. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but you know, hopefully our love is getting there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That would be a large setting like this every day. We meet once a week, and again, I'm not expecting us to meet every day as a big corporate offering, but wouldn't it be awesome just for a moment in time, let's say two weeks, that we could get out of our American culture and go back to biblical culture, and you worked when it was daylight, so whenever it turned day, and you know, it got dark, especially in the wintertime, early, you did a day job, you did a trait or whatever, and then every evening, when everyone got home from work, you gathered with the church. You ate together. You, you, you shared in the Lord's Supper. You, you studied the Word together. And a large group, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, realistically, we can't do that in American culture today. But there are some things we can do to do what they did a little bit more often. And I bet you we would start experiencing more of the things they experienced. That's my only goal. And again, just like our uh, mission statement says, it's not to guilt you or shame you. We simply invite. Our mission, we exist to invite others to trace their lives after Jesus. Some of them are going to, some of them aren't. When they do, now we encourage them to continue tracing their lives after Jesus. Some of them will, some of them won't. Shouldn't change our love for them. Shouldn't change how we look at them. Shouldn't change how we view them. We're going to get to that in a minute. And then we also invite you to be equipped. And we equip others to trace their lives after Jesus. We give them tools and methods of how to pray and how to read God's word and how to meditate on the word and, and all these things. What does the Bible say about this topic and that topic? So that we in turn will grow to a mature person so that we will reproduce ourselves in Christ and keep the cycle going. That's the goal. So we've seen about this huge difference of just being uh, spending time in God's word, which is a proof or evidence that our relationship with God's a top priority. You can change your priorities right now, today, when it comes to your relationship with God, just by making the commitment, I don't care if I understand or not, I don't know if I know where to start or not, I'm going to open this thing 
at least four days this week. That one thing, you do that and do it consistently, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be awestruck and you are too and your worship from God is going to deepen and God's going to use you. That one little thing, I guarantee it, because it will change your attitude about sin. Yeah, we all have struggles with it, and we're still tempted, and we still give in to those temptations. You stay at this, though, and it's like D.L. Moody said, your Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from your Bible. So you got to feed your spirit that's connected to the Holy Spirit now, and one way to do that is to feed on the Word of God. Not only are we to love God, but we are also to love people. Remember, Jesus said the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus' focus was people, all kinds of people. Jesus would go in the nighttime when it was dark and he would spend time on the mountain praying to his heavenly father because that was priority number one. His heavenly father would obviously give him direction for the next day of where he would minister to and he would be heading to minister to where God's called him to minister and some person would interrupt him. Some person that maybe was a woman and he was a man, maybe was a Samaritan and he was a Jew, maybe was rich and he was poor, but he was super rich too at the same time, however that works out, but anyway. Um, and he would many times allow the interruption. Let me, let me say this, one way you can start loving people better, yes, even the annoying people, is you allow some of them to interrupt you at times. Oh, they're going to anyway, right? But I want you to change your mindset and say, could this be an opportunity like Jesus had when he was doing what his father had called him to do and there's this interruption and my flesh is tempted to be like, ah, you're interrupting me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But just whisper that prayer really quick. God, is this an interruption of a person that I'm called to just hang with, just listen to, just respond to. I don't know that answer for you, and I don't always get it right for me a lot of the time, but I want to be better. And I think if we're going to trace our lives after Jesus, and Jesus seemed to have allowed a lot of interruptions in his life. I mean, serious stuff. He was on his way to, like, sick Lazarus, and he would be interrupted, and Lazarus died. Now, I know we not might not feel like we have the power to resurrect the dead. I mean, Jesus knew that's what he was going to do. But, but still, sometimes we got to trust things that happen outside of our control as actually a God thing and, and not an enemy thing, not from Satan or not from my own flesh. But again, sometimes it could be from that. How are you going to know the difference? The better you know his word, the better you'll be in tune with his voice and his interruptions when he's trying to get your attention. Jesus loved people, all kinds of people. They were his focus, both believers and those who were not. People who were his disciples and people who were not. People who were religious and people who were not. People who treated him well and people who didn't. Jesus loved them. Listen to what he said about loving people in Luke chapter 6. Let's start with the golden rule. It's where we get it. Even our world, it's in our schools, and, and yet we got it from Jesus. We got it from the Bible and Anyway, you know, Bible's still in our schools, whether people believe it or not, and still in the world. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's what Jesus said. If you love those 
who only love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Fascinating. We get that. Oh, I, I, I get that it's easier to love those who love you back. Man, it's so much easier. It's so much more enjoyable most of the time. It's nicer. It makes you feel better. And it's all of this. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to obey what Jesus taught. And here he's teaching us. And if you do good to those who only do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And Jesus isn't like, oh, I hate all these sinners. They're the worst people. He's just saying, even people that don't know me know how to love those that love them. He's saying you and I should be different. You and I should be like him. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Oh, I wish I didn't always have to teach the hard scriptures too. I wish I didn't always have to live the hard scriptures too. But, I mean, I just, I can't ignore that that's what Jesus taught. Yes, your boss. Yes, your coworker. Yes, the one who's annoying. Yes, the one who's mean and angry all the time. They just need some of the love that you say you have inside of you, and I believe you have it inside of you. They just need some. Most of the time with really mean, cocky, arrogant, angry people, we just don't know their story. Just ask them about their story and then just listen. Take a few extra minutes to just listen. People need to see our love. People need mercy. People need hope. People need us to overcome their bad with our good. Their hate with Jesus' love. People need to know that you care. Some will change because of it, and some won't. And yet, if we look at how Jesus treated Judas, even up to the very end, it was no different. He still looked at him through the eyes of love. And he said, Judas, go do what you need to do. Sometimes, hey, we need to just allow people to go do what they do, but we should show them that we care and that we love, that we're willing to listen. One of the best ways we can do this, show them that you care by your prayer. And this is what I mean by that. Show them that you care by your prayer. If we would take the time to just stop someone when we're talking with them, say, hey, can I pray for you right now? And just do it. And pray right now no matter where you're at. And then you pray through the motivation of Jesus' love and mercy and care for that person. And they're going to hear your care as you pray for them. And again, some of them aren't going to change after that. Some of them just might. Some of them might be closer to changing. Some of them you might have to do that 
over and over again until one day they break. Just when you think you're about to break, they break. And man, a powerful moment could be had. And again, some still won't. But not in a mean or vicious kind of way, but wouldn't we like for some people as they're standing before the judgment seat of God, if they don't make it, wouldn't we like God to say, hey, do you remember when I sent and insert your name your way? And they asked you about how you were doing and you were all mad and even mad at me and they just took the time to listen and, and they prayed for you. That wasn't just them, that was me going through them. And so when you thought I didn't care, I was right there beside you, literally caring for you. Wouldn't that be, I mean, not awesome for them, but just awesome to know. And am I being that type of person? And again, not for this, but just to be like Jesus who put his focus on God first and people second. Let me quickly end with this. I want to say this, because I know we've talked about our relationship with God, our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationship with those that don't know Jesus that are around us, but I don't want to skip over or forget our relationship with our spouse and our relationship with our kids. So like when it's God and others, it's like God and others who are spouse and then others who are kids, and then others who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and those around us that don't know Jesus. If you're sharing your faith with lost people, and you're discipling brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have kids in the home still living with you, and you are not either both or and or formally and informally discipling them, and talking about scripture with them, and uh, even Lori and I, we were far from perfect at this, but we do it at times. Uh, should we do it way more? Yes. Should we have done it way more? Yes. But I don't want to be guilty, and I don't want you to be guilty of not doing it at all, neglecting your, your marriage covenant and or your relationship with your kids and feeding them the Word of God and helping them understand it and asking questions, and you're like going full force into the church and doing everything for everyone else. But there's neglect at home. So we need to know those priorities and work there. Moms and dads, that doesn't mean someone else can't disciple your kids. It should just be along with what you're doing. I love it that Anna meets with someone from another church on a somewhat regular basis. Sees her every day because she's at school, this woman. And they have this awesome connection. That's in partnership with the relationship that Lori and I have with Anna. So that's an awesome thing, but don't let someone else do it like Colton or Josh Welling and you're not partnering with them at all, all right? So I don't know what your response is this morning. You still have time to, if you want to go out, fill out one of those forms, yeah, I would, I would love to meet with someone and be partnered up. You can check out that little, uh, it's in that red box back in the back about discipling someone or being a disciple. Um, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, sign up for a Bible study. Laurel, about every six to eight weeks or so, is starting something new and fresh, and we try to be faithful and let you know what that is. That's before uh, uh, service on Sunday. I mean, there's so many. Just, just plug in somewhere. Connect with someone. Don't stay spiritually stagnant. And if you do nothing else today, this is my one thing. 
if you fell below the four to seven days a week, would you just make that one commitment? If you just did that and you did nothing else, and you did that week after week after week, I'd be awesome. And you know what? Then I wouldn't have to tell you so much to get plugged in and signed up. God would, because you're in his word four to seven days a week. He would, but it'd be a good thing. Now it doesn't feel forced or it doesn't feel like, man, pastor might be mad at me if I don't do this. I don't work that way. I just want to make sure I'm doing my job and providing opportunities for you to grow. All right, worship team, come on up. If you want to come, you don't understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and you want to talk with someone or you just want to pray. This is kind of how we've done it for a while. We're just going to keep it over here. If you just want to pray between you and God, make some commitment to him, whatever, you can pray at that altar right there. No one will bother you. If you want someone to come pray with you, you can go grab them, or if you just come to that altar, someone's going to come down and kneel beside you and listen to you, talk with you, pray for you, pray with you, okay? Don't leave here not responding to what God is saying to you. You can leave here and not respond to something I've said that's not from him. That's totally fine. Just don't leave. And again, you, can you do it right in your seat? Yeah, absolutely. Again, the how doesn't matter. It's the what and the why that matters. So let's stand together and sing a song that hopefully these guys have picked out. <laughs>